Welcome to the Serverless Economics Podcast, where we talk about how your company can leverage serverless to optimize operational expenses. I'm Ryan Jones, joined by Josh Proto, and we are part of the leadership team at Serverless Guru, a cloud consulting company specializing in reducing operational expenses with serverless. And today we're going to be diving into a serverless case study by Alameda County in California, USA, and how they optimize their applications with serverless. Now, Alameda County needed to scale up to handle a million users on election night for their election application. Their previous app had crashed. And for their new app, they chose to leverage AWS and serverless. After load testing their serverless application, on election night, they were able to support over 3,000 concurrent users with no performance issues and saved nearly $100,000 in the first year in operational expenses by moving away from their traditional existing on-premises application. As one of the developers said, If we had gone the traditional route, we would have spent tens of thousands of dollars with no guarantee that it would even work, and we would have been paying for that infrastructure all year long. In short, by moving to serverless, they saved roughly 70% in operational costs by speeding up their application development, eliminating fixed infrastructure costs, and reducing ongoing maintenance overhead. Further benefits serverless gave them was automatic scaling to prevent the application crashing and increasing performance, resulting in 187% faster response time. Now, we're going to delve a bit deeper into this case study, but if you're shorter on time, you can download the episode outline in the podcast description. So, Alameda County is the seventh most populous county in California, and the fourth most diverse county in the United States. Alameda County discovered it had some limitations with this election reporter viewer. Originally built using GIS, Geographic Information Systems, and hosted with on-premises servers, the application crashed when uploading the first set of results during their 2014 election cycle. Now, they knew they couldn't let this happen for the 2016 election, but the estimates for updating their GIS-powered application was estimated to be around $20,000, plus the cost of managing and purchasing new server infrastructure. Now, Ryan, what are your thoughts on this set of problems, on this situation for Alameda County? It's a bad situation, right? So anytime that you're building an application, you definitely don't want uh, your application to be crashing, especially when you haven't fully tested it uh, against what your production load would look like. So when they talk about in, in 2014, you know, they built this application, they thought it was going to work. They then rolled it out and the app crashed immediately when they were trying to upload the first set of results. I think that that kind of gets at the heart of uh, what it means to write good software and just the idea that it's not only the application code that you write, but it's all the other testing and things that go into it to make sure that it's actually going to run efficiently. And along the lines of principles for writing good software, do you think this set of problems Alameda County was having uh, makes this a good case for using serverless as a development solution? Yeah, so I think that you know, anytime that you're building uh, applications which have like APIs and uh, front ends or back ends, or you have background processing, all those different things can be worked into serverless. And so we're seeing a a lot of stuff happen where there used to be a line where you would say, okay, this workload would work with serverless and this one wouldn't, but we're seeing that line start to get erased, and it's because of the innovation by AWS and other cloud providers. They're building new services which help uh, extend serverless and make it more able to be used by lots of different use cases. And so for Alameda County and what they were trying to build, uh, as I said, they they had an on-premise server. Uh, they tried to scale up to meet the demand and it crashed. So in those type of situations, when you're working with serverless, there's built-in auto-scaling and, and other features like that, which allow you to have uh, you know less uh, little dials that you need to turn and more just write your application code 
get it to do what you want, and then let uh, AWS handle everything from there. The set of problems that Alameda County was having, uh, namely the moment when it was crashing after uploading the first set of results, uh, not being able to automatically scale up to the demand, um, are these problems that are typical for applications of this sort of uh, on-premises, so using on-premises solution? Yeah, that's a great question. So most applications, when they're built uh, initially in a while back, like if you went back you know, 10, 15 years and people weren't very heavily invested into the cloud, there, there are still a lot of companies out there across the United States, across the globe that are still using on-premises servers. But if you think about it from kind of this progression uh, where you think about it as a spectrum, on the left-hand side, you have you know, the on-premises server. Maybe that's your laptop. You're running a, uh, you're running a local application on your laptop. You have your code written, you have everything working, and then now you have to host it somewhere to make sure that it's accessible not only from your computer, but from the entire internet. In that case, uh, companies will you know, do a separate server specifically made to host your application. And the problem with it, though, is that you know, these servers can be as, like, let's say, your, your laptop, right? If we ran our entire application off of our laptop, at some point, the throughput, uh, all the connections that are happening... Uh, the CPU that's being used, all those different things will start stacking up. And so then we have dedicated servers which are supposed to handle that. The problem is, is that if you're working at a huge scale uh, where Alameda, Alameda County was 1 million people on election day using the application, you can run into issues where that server will be overloaded. And so then with the progression of cloud, it's become easier to provision different uh, virtual machines and kind of a set them up in an array where you can actually have multiple servers and even have the concept of auto-scaling where as the load increases or as some variable increases, you can end up adding additional servers to help handle it. And that way your app's never crashing. But there's a, there's a caveat there that set that up manually where you have these virtual machines and you have these servers that are running and they're going to scale out automatically. What will take place is a lot of operational overhead. So it takes a lot of time to automate that entire process. If you do it manually, you run the risk of the person who set it up eventually leaving the company. And then you're left with no one that knows how to maintain it. Or you have to do this very big knowledge transfer and you hope that the person that left, left with uh, on good terms and he left documentation and all those things. And so through my career, I've seen many different scenarios like that play out where the infrastructure that was still being maintained was written five years ago and the people that wrote it were no longer around. The documentation was way out of date and it was treated as a big black box. What's nice about moving towards serverless is that as you let go of some of the operational overhead, you also let go of a lot of the downstream problems that take place when you're having to manage everything. So when you're managing setting up the auto-scaling yourself, you run into the risk of you know somebody leaving or potentially uh, the configuration not being set up properly. But when you use serverless and you just load your application onto it and you focus on your code only, not only are you able to get all those benefits without having to worry about uh, any of the downstream effects, but you're also focusing more on the application code itself. So by switching to serverless, Alameda County most likely was able to focus more on their product and more on the election app than they would have if they were using the on-premises servers. Because in the on-premises server scenario, they'd be focusing on making sure that the infrastructure is working properly. And that's kind of not the point, right? Like when you make an application, you're not, you're not, your users, you know, they really don't care if it's running on a server uh, they may not even know what a server is, right? All they care about is interacting with the app and having it work. And so in, in serverless, you're able to provide not only a better solution for your end users because that's your primary focus, but then your actual operational overhead is gone. And so 
in both of those cases, it ends up becoming a win-win. It also seems like with the on-premises servers, there has to be more time, uh, more time spent trying to make sure all the infrastructure is working the right way. And that seems to be an independent process from making sure your uh, app can hold a certain amount of load, uh, that testing is actually orchestrated properly. Uh, you know, talking about this case study really makes me think of the debacle of the Iowa caucus er earlier in the year when the app that was trying to manage all of the all of the counts went down states the nation was on the edge of their seats trying to figure out well who got the most delegates for the democratic primary definitely an, an instance where you know it doesn't seem like they necessarily tested that uh, or potentially potentially could have even been using an on-premises solution rather than an auto-scaling solution. Yeah, I think that's a, a really relevant thing that we've just had happen in the past few months with the Iowa caucus because, you know, in a situation like that, there's also this overhead that um, there's this kind of, there's this underlying thing that's happening with all applications and that's deadlines. And so as people are building out their applications, they're having to operate under deadlines. Sometimes it's very strict. We need to roll this out because the election is in two weeks. Sometimes it's very arbitrary, like we need to have this rolled out in quarter one. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. We can just continue it in quarter two. But for the IO caucus, it was like, this thing needs to work at this day, no matter what, 100%. And the problem with that is that when you start thinking about all the different moving pieces, having a fixed deadline like that, you need to have it ready multiple months in advance. Uh, and it apparently, they, you know, obviously they didn't. And so uh, what ends up happening there is they didn't have enough time to do the production testing that you should be doing on an app, you know, at that level, especially when it comes to election results. And so what we see with the Almeida County uh, example is that they actually they actually did load testing. So uh, they're trying to decide, you know, we have this on-premises solution, we have this serverless solution, we need to make sure that what happens with the, or what happened with the existing app that we tried in 2014 doesn't happen with our new uh, our new implementation was serverless. And so to do that, you know, Almeida County took the time to actually do the load testing. Um, and because of that, you know, I think that the, the result of it kind of speaks for itself. Absolutely. I'd say in this case, the result really does uh, speak for itself. Now, another question I wanted to ask you was that, you know, Alameda County made a very critical decision. And that was they sort of came to a fork in the road and had to choose, well, do we sort of try to refactor, redesign this GIS-based solution, or do we scrap it and start from scratch? Um, and now, in your experience, when do you see that, you know, starting from scratch is sort of the best decision? Uh, do serverless apps sort of have a, have a hidden benefit when it comes to starting from scratch? Um, I don't know. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So <clears throat> what ends up happening when you're building applications uh, you know, let's just take the example of a, you know, some billion dollar company that's been around for multiple years. What they'll end up doing is they'll, they'll want to be trying to move their existing application to a new infrastructure, or they'll be looking back at it after multiple years of maintaining it and saying, you know what, this thing doesn't meet our new standards. We've been building out these new things. Maybe they've already made that switch where half of their app is in the existing legacy architecture and the new ones in serverless. And so then they look at it and they're trying to figure out how do we break this apart or how do we move it? And then there's a there's kind of a line that gets drawn in the middle where you have to kind of decide at what point are you trying to basically carry this thing that doesn't actually work that well over to something new or leave it in where it is, but then try to carry it to, to you know, a little bit better version, right? So with Almeida County, what they thought about was, you know, if we, 
you know, probably the first thing they went through their heads is, can we just take this thing that didn't work in 2014, adjust it, modify it a little bit, tweak it, and then make it work for our new election? The problem with that is that you end up running the risk of one, uh, you're going to be throwing, you know, you're going to be throwing money into something that may end up not working uh, for the exact case as well. Um, but you're also increasing your overhead. And they kind of went back to the drawing board and went, you know what, it's been a couple of years, maybe there's something new that's out there, where we can kind of eliminate some of this overhead we have. And with that, they came across serverless. And they decided, you know what, let's build a, a POC, a proof of concept. Let's try to use serverless. Let's see if it, you know, properly works. And then they tried to weigh the risk of, okay, this POC may have taken us uh, two weeks or a week to build. And now we can see that if we invest another two or three weeks or a month, we'll get that same result that we had before. And then they can weigh the cost balance and say, okay, well, what would it take for us to continue with the existing thing? Uh, in the Almeida County's example, I think they, they estimated that it would take $20,000 just to get it to uh, where they want it to be for the new election. But that wasn't considering if it would handle the load testing and that wasn't considering the extra additional infrastructure to buy new servers to make the application work. And so I think that, you know, in my case, what I've seen is that when you have something that's gigantic and you're trying to figure out, do I, do I try to move this to something new or leave it where it's at? I think you should go back and then ask, you know, what is the business value of all this? Maybe moving to serverless is not the best choice uh, when it comes to things like your application already works and it's supporting, you know, millions of customers. And maybe this is not the thing that is going to move it to the next level. But if it is, if you've identified that actually we're at that point where there's some breakdowns that are happening in the load or the app is crashing at different points, or we have to have, you know, dedicated time windows where users just can't use our application because we have to push updates. And then you recognize, okay, well, serverless, we're not going to have that issue. Uh, then in those cases, I would, I would probably think through how big is the application that you're actually working with? Can it easily be broken down into these like little microservices, which would be cloud functions at that case? And then the other side of it would be, can you just start building the whole thing from scratch and start over? And sometimes it's not that bad of an idea, right? Because if you take something that's gigantic and you try to break it into small pieces, for somebody to go into that code base, and let's say it's you know 10,000 lines, 100,000 lines of code, and then start peeling back layer by layer, they have to understand the code at such a level that maybe nobody at your company still has that knowledge. Or maybe there's only one person that does. And so it's a lot harder to scale that out over multiple people. Whereas if you take what does our application actually do, right? Maybe our application does, uh, you know, CRUD functionality. So create, read, update, delete on a database. So you can create a user, you can update a user, you can read, you know, from the user's table and you can delete a user, right? And so once you identify those different aspects, then you can think, okay, well, without, with ignoring everything that we know about our application, can we rebuild this faster with something else? And can we remove all these dependencies that we had before? And, and what you can end up finding a lot of times is that, there's so much uh, things that are built into applications as people are maintaining it over multiple years that once in a while somebody hits something and then they'll add another dependency and then a couple of months later they'll add another dependency, they'll add another, maybe there's some function that doesn't work properly, it would take too long to refactor it because they have other work that they're doing. So they just add another function and then they add another function and what ends up happening is all this uh, quote-unquote spaghetti code and so then you're trying to take not only your spaghetti code and kind of unravel it, but then you're trying to break it apart into a new architecture. And at that point, you can end up spending exponentially more going that route than just trying to rebuild it from scratch. One thing I've definitely seen as well is the emphasis on 
process of determining the best solution for your use case. And it seems like, you know, serverless is not an exception to that rule. Um, so thank you for sharing that your experience with, with that there. And Alameda County, really, after doing a thorough analysis, uh, as was talked about in the case study, um, really decided that serverless would be the best solution for, for their unique problem set. And, um, you know, that in, in and of itself is also like, uh, like a major achievement. So many organizations don't spend enough time up front, I think. Um, you know, just figuring out, well, what are the requirements for this next phase? And especially when it comes to having a deadline, uh, making sure that they find the best solution in uh, time allotted for that. Uh, there's a saying that goes around with serverless, which is, you know, spend, don't spend two days uh, researching and two weeks developing, spend two weeks of uh, researching and two days developing. And the, the, the point behind that is that, you know, let's say, you know, if somebody gave me a problem and they said, hey, we need to solve this, Ryan. And I was like, okay. Um, I can I can start busting out code immediately and start writing a solution to it. However, that solution that I write, it may be you know thousand lines. Um, it may be a whole application. I may go off the first impression that I have of this problem, and then start working on that for two weeks. Um, however, if I spend the opposite approach and I go, okay, I'm going to do two weeks of research, then I'll think through: Should I build this app? Should I build a thousand lines of code? Should I buy this third party tool? Should I even do this at all? And I think that a big thing. You know, when we work with clients as serverless guru, that's kind of the first thing that we try to do is we try to rewalk them back to the steps of like, why are you doing this, right? Like, is this actually the thing that's going to make the impact that you're applying to it? Or is there another way that we could do this? Because ultimately, you know, we want to make a huge business impact with our clients. And so, you know, we're also partly a serverless consulting company that will tell you in some cases not to use serverless because it won't meet the exact use case. Um, so... Uh, in those scenarios, I think that it's really important for people that are contemplating not only serverless, but just rebuilding architecture, rewriting software code to really think through why they're doing it, what the business impact is going to be, and then spend those two weeks upfront researching. The more times you can test that your premises for solving the problem are accurate, um, the better a solution you're going to get down the road. So I never heard of that, heard of that sort of design pattern or project pattern before, but I, I definitely like it. It's very scientific in that way. So it seems to be that you really have improved their decision-making process. And I'm wondering if you have anything else just to say about the project. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we've covered a lot. I think the, the biggest thing that they, they found out was just, um, you know, make sure to spend, you know, time researching what the load when you actually go to production is going to be. And then make sure that the application that you're building actually can support it. And not only don't don't build the application before testing that it'll actually support it. And I think that that's kind of a really big one, a uh, really big takeaway. Make sure that you figure out what your usage is going to be, what your expected usage will be. And then make sure before you start writing any code at all, like before you even start production or product development or anything like that, the thing that you're proposing is actually possible with this infrastructure. And then evaluate, okay, well, if it's Maybe it's not possible with one server, but then we need three servers. And I think that if they would have done that back in 2014, they would have realized really quickly that what they were building was not going to be supportive of their actual uh, use case. So yeah, so I think, uh, you know, definitely think about where uh, serverless fits in and uh, where it doesn't. And, you know, make sure that you weigh that against your use case and define clearly uh, why you're making the move. And if it's if it's worth it at this time or if you can wait a little bit longer, 
Another thing too is that you know make sure that you have people within your company that actually know how to do the thing that you're proposing, um, or at least have some direction. I've, I see a lot of companies who get excited about serverless or get excited about Kubernetes or something like that, but then they don't actually have the in-house expertise. And without hiring consultants, they'll kind of go this path themselves. And you, you can run the risk of creating something that you're then going to completely throw away in a couple of weeks because the decisions that were made very early on end up having a downstream impact. Um, luckily for Alameda County, it looks like they had the help of AWS. And so they were really in a good spot uh, to do that. Other companies, what they'll do is they'll hire you know consulting companies to come in and basically evaluate what their exact use case is, what their usage would be, evaluate the architecture pattern that they were considering, and then give them feedback and best practices, and then schedule meetings with their team and help them actually transition to be able to be, able to be effective. Um, a lot of times what we see is that there, there's a lot of high-level help when it comes to thinking about serverless, and that'll come usually from the AWS side or the cloud provider. But then when they actually get into the nitty-gritty details of actually building the thing, that's where people get into a lot of weeds. And that's where a lot of time gets wasted and it gets spent on the development end trying to build out things and deal with errors where, you know, for serverless consultants specifically, because serverless is so niche into a specific way of doing things, uh, you know, if you have somebody in your company or if you have a consultant that has two or three years of experience doing this, you know, they can move at 4x, 5 times, 10 times uh, the productivity level as the average developer trying to pick this up. And it may even be even more past that, right? Because I know from my experience, you know, and I've we've done a lot of code reviews and done a lot of code challenges and things like that uh, when we're doing recruiting or also working with clients. And we'll ask people to build, you know, a serverless API or build a serverless system. And then we'll actually monitor how long it takes for them to do that. And uh, for a lot of people, uh, you know, it can take, you know, 10 hours, uh, 20 hours to build a serverless API. Uh, for other people, for myself, I, I know where to look to get the pattern to actually build it. And that's the same with most people who have two or three years of experience doing something, uh, you know, whether it's Kubernetes or whether it's a specific area of application development that you work on. Uh, you know, for me, it's serverless. I know exactly where to go to find the resources that I need and then put the things together in the way and naturally avoid errors and, you know, limit the amount of debugging that I do. Um, just based on the amount of context that I have doing it. And I think that that's the same for serverless consultants uh, across the board. So uh, when you're considering making a big move like this and you need confidence and you need to make sure that's right the first time, make sure to spend the money up front, which always seems like a bad idea, right? When people want to uh, invest in a different area or they want to buy a car, uh, usually you know, buying the insurance or something like that or making sure that these things are checked properly. That's always like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I trust the person that's, you know, uh, that's doing it or selling it. But you really should spend as much money up front as you can to make sure that you don't have all these downstream problems because that's where it's hard to measure, right? A lot of times companies are very good at measuring uh, a new initiative, but they're not good at measuring what the impact of that new initiative will have if things go badly downstream, right? Like if we invest into Kubernetes, and now we're dealing with all these different services and problems. They can't see any of that up front. And so then on the outside, they hear the success stories about how great Kubernetes was or how great serverless was, but they don't actually uh, see the problems and behind the scenes. No, Ryan, you've sort of given a higher level overview of things that went really well, the solutions, uh, the solutions that Alameda County made and, um, and its overall impact. However, are there, I want to ask you, 
you thought there were any specific AWS services or parts of their process that you think were the uh, sort of the um, the cornerstone parts of their development strategy that were able to bring them the sort of savings and bring them the deliverables that they were able to make. <clears throat> so a uh, big thing that they had was, you know, they had an application which was loading uh, some decent side, decent sized asset onto uh, the end user's application. And what they were dealing with is that initially with the old existing system, it would take, you know, 90 seconds for this asset to load fully on the end user screen. Well, when they moved to serverless, they were able to hit uh, performance speeds of two to three seconds for that initial load and all subsequent requests. So after the person requested it once, they got it back within less than a second, right? So sub-second responses. And that was done through doing things like uh, uh, using CloudFront caching, which is a serverless or CloudFront CDN, which is a service from AWS, as well as uh, using Lambda. And so I think another cost-saving element of that, uh, so I mean, this is a big thing that's hard to calculate, but when you think about users' perspective, right? When an application takes 90 seconds to load, and this is an election app, so of course they're going to use it, they're going to deal with it, but when the end-user application actually takes 90 seconds to load or 5 seconds or 10 seconds to load, what we calculate is we can calculate how much the server costs, right? We can calculate how much the Lambda function costs, the cloud function. Uh, we can calculate how much the development cost is, how much is the hourly rate times 8 hours a day. What's really hard to calculate is what the user perspective is and this whether or not that person would have bought or whether or not that person would have made a purchase or interacted with the app if this other thing wouldn't have happened, right? And so what's really important about uh, the CloudFront piece is that we can calculate how much did the caching cost. Okay, it costed, let's say, $100 a month, right? But what we're not seeing is that because the load time was faster, the conversion rate on all the users actually increased by 30%, 40%. And, and that's strictly because the performance was reduced by, I think it was 97% or something like that, um, when it comes to actually going from 90 seconds down to two to three seconds, and then all future requests uh, responding in less than a second. And so that's a really big, that's a really big cornerstone of serverless. And that was something that they didn't have to set up themselves, right? They didn't have to set up all these uh, content delivery network servers, and they didn't have to think about how to do this very complex caching. A lot of that stuff was built in uh, with AWS already. The other side, which is a big cost saving, was not having to worry about the server cost, right? So with cloud functions and with serverless, uh, and especially AWS, they have a service called AWS Lambda. What it does is uh, it has pay-per-use compute. And so if you have a virtual machine, you have to leave it on 24-7. You use a container, you have to leave it on 24-7. When you use a cloud function, it's only pay-per-use. So when somebody's using it, then you get billed for it. And it's actually at like the millisecond level that you're actually getting billed for it. So you're not going to get billed for an hour of the cloud function running or for a minute. Uh, it's going to be, you know, seconds, right? Uh, or less. And then also uh, it scales horizontally, right? And so what that kind of means, and this is a very different concept, is that if you get a request to a Lambda function and you get like 100 at once, it's going to create 100 containers. And this, these, these containers basically host the cloud function and allow it to respond back. And so it's going to scale out times 100 immediately, like in the second the requests come through. And why that's really important is that in a traditional setup, if you got 100 requests in a second, it's all going to go to that one server. And a lot of times, if that continues to happen, it'll overwhelm the server. And even with auto scaling, sometimes it can be a little bit slower. So what we have uh, a lot of times when we talk about scaling 
is scaling vertically. So it'll go, uh, it'll go up, like increase one by one. Horizontally, it actually can scale outwards and then scale up. And so that's a whole different concept that serverless opens up. And so serverless just basically out of the door with no investment on your end uh, is able to achieve this really amazing scaling uh, without any other uh, user input. And then also, you know, when we think about it, uh, the, you know, the infrastructure costs as we talked about, but also the operational overhead. So because you don't have people that are trying to maintain the server, if we have literally a physical computer sitting in our office and that physical computer has any problems, what do we have to do? We have to call a repair person. We have to bring somebody out. We have to have security to make sure that nobody can touch it. We have to make sure that the temperature is right. We have to make sure that the wires are, are properly in there. Uh, make sure that no one's like touching it or interacting with it at all. And what can end up happening is that there's a lot of additional overhead and risks when you have an on-premises server somewhere. Even if you have a gigantic company, you have your own data center, you're still going to have to maintain uh, the security, the compliance, all these things, because there's nobody else that you can kind of offload that responsibility to. And so what you do is you make, you go, okay, we make an application called Instagram, but then we also have our own data centers. Well, your users don't care about your data centers. All they care about is seeing their images on their feed, right? And so... There's companies now that are no longer even doing anything like that. They're focusing strictly on their user experience and they're using something like AWS and serverless to take care of that for them. And so the responsibility model is I'm going to focus on my application code. I'm going to make sure that my application is amazing. And then I'm going to allow AWS to handle all the details around where the data is stored, the encryption, uh, the security of the physical infrastructure. And I just have to worry about my, my actual code. And that allows you to move really fast, allows you to innovate. And this goes back to that kind of uh, unseen, uh, you know, savings or unseen uh, profit or revenue generating uh, things is that when when this is taking place, when you have users that are having a good experience and you're able to innovate faster and experiment and then create new features, those features can end up attracting the customers that end up generating more revenue. And meanwhile, that other company is sitting there trying to figure out okay, well, we have this server, but our application is crashing. So how many more servers do we need to add? What is our security budget? All these things. While, you know, company B is sitting there just rolling out new features and innovating uh, for their end users. Um, yeah. And, and and then with that, you know, Alameda County used a whole other suite of services. The big thing to understand there is that Alameda County prioritized fully managed services uh, from the look of it. And the benefit of there is that the same benefit for using Lambda or using CloudFront is that they're offloading that to AWS and they're just using these little tiny uh, plug and play type functionality to allow them to do really amazing things. Um, a good example of that that I've used in the past is that uh, if you think about uh, Dropbox, for instance, what Dropbox was when it first started was a wrapper over AWS S3, which is for storing documents and images and assets. So Amazon created the service, Dropbox created a wrapper over it, made a new UI for it, made it look very clean, and then they became a billion-dollar-plus company. And then eventually, they had some edge case where they needed to have their own servers for their own reasons, um, and they created their own data centers at that point. But they didn't start with data centers and then move to AWS S3 and move to Amazon. They started with Amazon, and then as they needed more, they then grew out. Sure. So to sort of summarize and recount some of the most important parts is that um, let me know if I'm saying this right, but just that Alameda County was able to highly leverage the AWS services of CloudFront, S3, and Lambda in order to, to have on-demand access to a suite of resources in order for them to launch their app. 
And another thing I wanted to ask about is that, you know, Alameda County says and attributes to a lot of their success to the load testing that they're able to do. Now, with the load testing, is that something they were able to do because of a certain AWS service? Or is that something that is that is more reliant on the individual team members in order to do that load testing? Or is there a way to have that automated through AWS as well? Yeah, so you know what what Alameda County had to do is probably do this independently. Uh, they they built the infrastructure, this proof of concept, uh, using AWS resources that are quote unquote serverless. Uh, serverless in a lot of cases just means fully managed. So they were using these fully managed services. They built a new proof of concept, and they wanted to test it to make sure that it could actually support their use case. So they learned from 2014, and we're applying that to the next election. And then what their developers most likely did is they created, as I said, a, you know, extensive unit tests, uh, user tests, and load testing. Um, and then they tried to make sure that with all this load hitting their application, that it wouldn't crash and it would scale up properly. And so what they were able to find is that the application was able to scale up to a million users on election night, and uh, the infrastructure performed, quote-unquote, flawlessly. And they were confident after doing those load testing and those unit tests that no matter what the scale was that came through on election night, uh, that that was going to work. Wow. So what an incredible story about how Alameda County was able to utilize these fully managed services um, combined with their own with their own uh, expertise on creating a proof of concept and doing load testing in order to manage what ended up being a very successful election process for them. And that goes to show, show you that they didn't even have to spend the $20,000 on independent development. Um, of the GIS system, which in the case study, they make a point to say that I think either Google or the main support, they were ending support for it. So it really was going to be $20,000 sort of thrown away just for the sake of using a legacy system, as well as not having to purchase any on-premises, uh, on-premises support or services. As someone from Alameda County originally, you know, it's great to see that, uh, Alameda County is, you know, using serverless. Uh, the last point that I want to bring up there is just this one last highlight, which is uh, we talked about it earlier in the summary, but it's a good point to bring up. Uh, what we did when we were thinking about this episode and kind of going through this case study is we thought about what were the all the expenses that would have went into if Alameda County would have taken their existing application and moved it uh, you know, to this. They would have just upgraded their existing application without moving to serverless. And and what we came back with is that you know by going to serverless route, Almeida County ended up saving, you know, nearly $100,000 in the first year in operational expenses uh, by going to serverless. And that doesn't touch on the all the things that we talked about earlier, but that's a really good point to just bring up. Um, and so with that, uh, you know, I want to thank the listeners and also thanks for listening to Serverless Economics Podcast hosted by Ryan Jones and Josh Proto, brought to you by Serverless Guru, your trusted serverless partner. And if you like our show and you want to learn more about it, you can go to anchor.fm slash serverless-economics, or you can leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And join us next week when we talk about the Seattle Times newspaper and how they move their entire website to AWS and leverage serverless and part of their application to both increase performance with no server maintenance.